maybe it is, because remember we talked about joy, unlike happiness, is able to bear sorrow. So in that sense, I do hope you enjoyed reading the Lament Psalms. As always, terrible question. (laughs) Either the video or the readings, what did you find doing for you as you as you thought about these psalms of lament or in what ways did you touch base or resist what the um, presenter said today i went i went back in my my from right now things are pretty stable as and i mean you know everything's fine aging but it but it doesn't really bother me a lot anyway this moment But there was a period in our life where I have a priest who recommended the Psalms of Lament. And at the time, I had no clue about that. And I thought, Father JJ, that's silly. (laughs) But I looked him up, and he said, Lay in bed and scream them. Shake your fist. Be angry. And I was. What is the word? Transferred. I, I just went to sleep. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe they had that kind of power. And it's even a little hard to, to share this with a bunch of strangers. But, um, and some of them were these right here. I might have gotten all about them. Yeah. And so you just kind of get thrown back into... And, and there's all times in our lives, I think in all people's lives, that they have a lot of power. If you really just allow yourself to be embraced in them. How, how do you think that worked for you? I mean, how is it that, that voicing these laments with, with anger and, uh-huh. and intentionality, yes. how do you think that gave you... Rel- I mean, I don't know if you even know the answer. This is always hard to say how something worked, but, you know... It was, it was like counseling... Because you know, I have a master's in counseling, and mm-hmm. I believe very strongly in, in 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 counseling and sharing your deepest feelings with a stranger, basically that you're paying to do that. You've got a good counselor. You really, and, and if you're a trusting person, and you really believe in the process, so this was just that process being transferred to someone that's not there. Yeah. That's that. That makes intellectually. That's. Well, it seems like what the presenter was sort of saying, in some ways, this trust that actually God exists and that God is listening, even if, you know, you've got this cognitive dissonance between how faithful people should be treated and your own experience, you're able to voice that, as you said, to somebody who listens. some ways, I guess it was, maybe it was easy for me, and I don't know that it would be easy for lots of people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't want to say easy. I trusted Father J.J. and he kind of surprised me when he said that, but I trusted him. Sorry for interrupting. Can we engage Tommy? Yeah, he'll be here. Thank you. So there was a level of having a person that I had human trust in, and that that also had to be transferred into yeah into the spiritual. I'm not sure I'm making any sense. No, you are. Thank you. I mean, again, I I feel like that's very parallel to what the presenter said. Anybody else? I think I'm the songs because they 
can kind of fit in what you need. I, I had, uh, when I first had my thyroid problem, then I had thyroiditis disease, and it was in the fourth stage. And the fifth stage really affects your uh, yeah. optic nerve, so I was kind of worried about that. And in the Psalms, there's about four different Psalms that have to do with eyes. I guess the one that uh, resonated the best was my eyes were tired with weeping and things like that, and it wasn't like I was. I never even thought that it went in depth to it at all because we had moved a whole bunch of times and I was tired. And when I closed my eyes at night, I had this sort of vision in my head of a, a bush that had been ripped up like that with the roots, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess in a way, I was, I don't know. But I used that and I used the uh, that one and I, I also used the 23rd Psalm and used uh, changed uh, the valley of, of death, the valley of darkness. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, and, uh, I guess in the same way, it was, uh, it was discomforting. I didn't have a script director or anybody at that time, but just for me, it was, it was comforting. And I used to do that at night before I went to sleep. I did use a whole bunch of tapes and, uh, and, and uh, CDs and things and listen to them. So in a way, I got you know, work on it. And, uh, I used the Simon method of meditation and all kind of things to uh, fight back. I think to me, and I, I brought this uh, Bible, my, my King James Version, because uh, even as a teenager, I really like the Psalms because they're kind of over the top, you know, and feelings, and, it, and that is nice sometimes, you know. So that's, that's why I went to the Holy Bible, this Bible for my uh, meditations and things. King James, I love the Psalms. I don't think they're better in any other translation. When we have a daily reading of Psalms, mm -hmm. I pick up my King James version because it maybe because I grew up with it, but it's it's more melodic, and uh, more meaningful. Yeah. The way that it's. One of the things I loved about the video was for dancing. For me. Um, physicality and being physically um, at the time that I was really going I was a, doing long distance cycling uh, and I had to hang my bike because I've lost all the cartilage with everything so I had I do other things but I do aerobics I do trip I really if, if I do physical and I studied dance I studied modern for a while and what's cool wonderful about modern is that it's very free and you can just really just um, and you can do it by yourself just either even without music but rather allow your emotions to to take you wherever and maybe that feels that sounds yeah. silly but yeah. that movement that physicality of uh, I guess it's part of the just yelling out loud and that kind of it's part of it mm -hmm. thanks thanks um, you know, there's really something interesting about the King James Version. I remember we talked about this the very first week, and King James was a great translation for its day, but did not rely on old manuscripts. So if the language appeals and you want the rich manuscript tradition, the new King James Version is a fine translation. Remember, the, the difference is the King James Version, the oldest manuscript was from the 1500s. The new King James uses manuscripts from the 6th century before the Common Era. 
right? So that's 2,100 years older manuscript tradition. One of the neat things about the King James that we haven't maintained, I don't know if you know this story about, about English, uh, English actually has a U person, a U uh, informal and a U formal. German has this as well. I think Spanish does Spanish too, right? Um, we're not used to this because we just say U for everything. The reason we do that is about 170 years ago, um, the, the informal, that is the one you would use for your family, was the thou thy. And the formal was you. Uh, the Quakers, who decided everybody's equal and there's no hierarchy, called everybody the thou thy. They're professors, people they met on the street. And that was abhorrent <laughs> to the rest of society. So as a result, society dropped the the thou thy and called everybody you. And this is an interesting thing as we get it backward. If you hear right one, and you hear the Lord be with the Lord. We say the Lord be with you, and with thy spirit. We say, oh, that's formal. It actually is not. <laughs> and with thy spirit is the informal. And in the King James, right, in the Psalms, addressing God, it's thee, thou, thy. So with that in mind, they actually are more intimate expressions than they are formal ones. Interesting in Spanish, tú, you, is commonly used, and usted was a, is the more formal kind, yes. and respectful, hardly ever used, very rarely. Yeah. Uh, you know, me, I think, I would talk to my grandmother since they was dead, uh, and they're dead, although <laughs> yes. for a long, long time, yeah. hardly anyone uses that word. Anymore. It would be more in Spain, like in yes. Castilian, right, yes, or yes. in parts of Argentina, yes, where you use the bosotros, right? Yeah. But, but I want you to know this interesting thing about English. We just don't grow up with that context. We think that's antiquated and formal when, in fact, it's intimate. Yes. And this is one of the things that makes me like right one language, is bearing that in mind. Right one actually is inviting us into greater intimacy with one another and with God than we presume. We kind of get it backward. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, when you read through these, now granted, we didn't read the whole Psalter, but let me tell you, we read a lot of lament. Were there laments in your life that were missing? <laughs> let me build on that question. One of the things that the author said, I mean the presenter said, that I thought was really, really interesting. We don't sing these. We, we don't have songs of lament really in our hymnal to our detriment. And part of it, I think he said, is because, well, we're uncomfortable and we're supposed to be happy, clappy people, you know. But, but you know, it's interesting that he's sort of saying we're missing out on the full expression. And I, I think this is part of my church. I don't want to talk about St. Thomas, because I, I don't know. But I, I, I think part of my Christian experience, um, certainly in, 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 in youth group, and again, the churches that I grew up in, is that when things are bothersome for you, you're just supposed to kind of, well, get over it and be grateful to God anyway. So we didn't come to God with our, our whining and our disappointment because that's faithless of us. And as a result, again, like I can't think of any contemporary Christian songs that really make room 
for pain to be painful. There's one, I gave but I can't remember the name of it, but there's one song that asks that I, I sit with God, Jesus, I sit with Jesus, and He listens to my cries. I mean, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but it is a, that's what it is. Now, I will tell I you, the anthems might do it sometimes. I'll tell you, there's a Fanny Crosby song called Pass Me Not. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, do not pass me by. I actually think in church, I felt like that was kind of innocuous. I, I, I was a chaplain at a drug rehab facility for homeless black crack addicts in Atlanta and that was their song <laughs> and it was a song of lament but it had never been that in church and if we sung it here I don't think it would be like it was there do, do, do you know what I'm saying um, but that's one of the few and I think it was so context specific that in church I just thought it was like a like a country song you know I, I think we could say that song I'll fly away um, one glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away um, that could be a psalm of lament <laughs> I usually hear it and I think that's just bad theology you know that's like escapism but but in the right context of Appalachia that's sort of saying life is really 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 hard <laughs> um, but I just don't know that there's a lot of hymns like that. And certainly, I don't know that there's a lot of confessions of faith. I mean, you don't find an emphasis set on the creed unless we really dwell on the fact that he became flesh and suffered under Pontius Pilate. I mean, maybe that's the phrase that we, that we fix on. Uh, that said, I'm wondering if, if, this, if you might have had your interest peaked in, in, in this a little bit and thought, you know, I hear these things about enemies, and I hear these things about uh, sickness, but I didn't hear a psalm that represents part of my everyday frustration and difficulties. And I don't know if this makes sense, what I'm saying. I, 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 maybe I should tell you more what I have in mind as I read it. And, and this happens to me all the time, um, and I'm just going to be dead honest with you, maybe to a fault. I, I have people come and ask me if I can help with their rent. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I always do. But I usually give them a really hard time first. And I'm not even sure why I do that, except uh, I kind of have this mentality that God helps those who help themselves. And sometimes what I end up saying is, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this for you one time. And what are you going to do after that? And in, in, in some ways, I think that's a ministry of trying to invite them into thinking past this crisis into sustainability. So that's probably why I continue to do it. But um, I will tell you, even though I always do something, I do. Um, I'm very skeptical 90% of the time. <laughs> and I didn't find a psalm of lament for that. I didn't, and, and you know, I, I, this is going to sound crazy, like, Mike, you just need to grow up, but maybe that's one of the ways I grow up, is I say, God, I don't trust these people. 
you know? How is it that they cannot pay $900 in rent and their electric bill is five times bigger than mine and I live in a house? Um, again, I trust that I have to grow out of those feelings, but I do wonder about making space for them communally. I hope that didn't sound too heretical. No. Too heretical? Yeah, you know, again, I mean, I, just mentioning that, uh, in the churches I grew up in would have been like, Mike, you're crazy. You know, like, these people need your help. And again, I don't know if they do or not. And I think that's part of my lament, you know. I, I, I certainly have family members. You know, one of my dad's first principles was never do business with family members. <laughs> Now, we've all ended up doing business with family members because you sometimes have to. Boy, I've got psalms of lament from doing business with family members, and in some ways I had to. Now, look, you could say might grow up, but again, I think what this guy's trying to say is that lament is true to our lives and to our faith lives, and, and there is something valuable maybe about having a corporate expression of that. I've got laments about what my kids do with the investments of time and money and love I put into them. I do. <laughs> if you have kids, you probably do too. Because you think, good God, why are you doing that choice? I've told you nine million times. I've shown you a better way. I've got some real lament over that. If you don't have that now, let me tell you, you will when they get to be 15. Uh, well, for me, it's grandkids, because I taught my daughters much better. So why are see, I mean, doing this? I, I'm going to tell you, I didn't get a lament like that. You know, I didn't hear the lament over what our kids do with their kids or what our kids do with our resources. And again, maybe I'm just immature, but I feel like part of the lesson is inviting us to really consider these realities of life and how that intersects faith and God, and how we can claim them corporately. Well, maybe we need to write some. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking if, and I've I've named three: business with family, raising my kids, and helping people who say they need help. Are there any missing for you guys? Those are broad brush. You don't have to be as detailed. Grandkids is another one. Yeah. You really, if you think you, with your grandkids, you're just out of here. I'll come in with my arms crossed. You can't do anything about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Except for watching go through stuff. Yeah. And, and, well, you know, the Psalms were written over a long period of time by other people than David. And I mean, so some of them we don't know who wrote them. So it's perfectly acceptable and wonderful if we choose to write some songs out of our experiences. Yes. You know, mine was that, um, you know, uh, of course, most of you know I'm a cradle Roman Catholic, but I've been in that church in a while. <laughs> but anyway, when I was growing up, not, uh, I never knew anything about psalms or anything like that because uh, what was the thing to do at that time was to memorize questions and answers that were in the Baltimore Catechism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, 
I'm an incest survivor, and my father was my abuser, and my mother did not protect me because he beat the hell out of her. So anyway, uh, I didn't have songs to fall back on when I was a kid. But when I was about eight years old, living in the port, we were living in the port at that time, and uh, on a farm, and I remember one day I was out there, uh, and I, we had all our fence that you know, we had huge houses and stuff like that. So I remember standing beside our fence, and uh, God came to me, but it wasn't necessarily, I, it wasn't not a vision or anything like that. It was just awareness, a feeling. I felt that call, you know. Uh, it's uh, so. That has always been with me all my life, and as I have traversed my journey, have traveled my journey, that is what has held me together and pulled me forward, you know. But um, anyway, it was something else I was going to say, but it just took a hike. But um, but now, oh. But now I, I'm finding the Psalms again, and all of it is thankfully to this discussion that we're having. Mm -hmm. And I find there are those that I like and who, that speak to me and that I thoroughly enjoy. And um, so I'll do more of it. But, and you did name one. You said, right, and I don't know if you necessarily said this, but you know, if you, if you have survived abuse, uh, I, I didn't read a specific one about that. I mean, we talked about, the, yes, some of these talk about enemies, deliver me from my enemies. But what about when your enemies are your aunts and your uncles or your grandparents? You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, in some ways, more specificity becomes, um, well, I don't know if it becomes cathartic or helpful. I don't know the answer. That's kind of the question I guess I'm asking. But I will issue a challenge that I will write a psalm for an abuse how about your right one? <laughs> that, that would be a pretty interesting piece of homework, wouldn't it? Yeah, for me, I, I went, there was a childhood dust, you know, you obviously broke, but I didn't experience anything like that. When I was running inner city schools, and kids would come to me with really bad, you know, serious problems. Or their parents would bring a child. And I remember a girl coming in; she was pregnant, and and the mother was beside herself. And, and I said to her, "Send her out. I can't do anything about it." And and she just looked at me like. And so I realized I was like her. I just knew, she just knew that Senora Kalula is going to fix this thing. She's a good principal at it. And it was, and nothing I could really do at all. And that, that being in those kind of situations, because I, and one time a kid said to me, oh yeah, Miss Kevola, you can go back to your comfortable house and your, your nice house and your good car and all that, and you just leave our neighborhood. Hmm. And that was true. But I couldn't do everything that was brought to my desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, you know, yeah, it's thank God that they had you. Really, you came from your nice place mm. into theirs. Yeah, and, mm. you know, but then you, you're then you're just saying, you're just saying, oh, excuse me, I, I have other things to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's something you're just 
But an interesting psalm of lament is that the needs of the world are greater than our ability to give. And I think that's a really interesting one. Are the psalms asking us to give anything or to receive? Um, I think it's a great question. Um, I mean, I think what I think one of the the, the, the feeling we all have to answer that ourselves. I, I think one of the things the presenter is inviting us is that the Psalms really present us with the ability to give honesty of experience, trusting that God listens. Now, what God does with the listening, <laughs> we probably all have different opinions upon. Right, and so in that sense, we give, but I think we also receive. Well, I find them very frustrating because you don't get an answer. Mm -hmm. Not a well, not right away sometimes, mm -hmm. but a very, then an answer does come. It might be no. <laughs> well, know. see, that's. But but the other thing is, a lot of times it works itself, the answer works itself out because we can live with that or grow with it. Yeah. Well, I, well, I think it is very hard for us to accept the answer is no. We always want the answer to be yes. Yeah. Well, I do think there's something interesting though. I, I'm not sure that we always, I think sometimes we assume the answer to be no by default, but I do think there's sometimes where I don't, I actually, if God would just show up and say no, then I would have like clarity. But to not hear is like, why do I not get some sort of message? But I, I, I do think there's something really interesting about the expression. And one of the, the books said this about Psalm 137. Is it okay if I read this? By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. And our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, Tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, Happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. We don't, we don't read that in church, by the way. It doesn't show up in the Sunday uh, Revised Common Lectionary. It shows up in the daily. Um, listen, there's no answer. And the end is kind of this thing that absolutely in church, I was taught we don't do. We say like, Hope you get what you did to us back. Because <laughs> Jesus says, turn the other cheek, you know? So there's this interesting bit here, right? And um, this is in some ways so old that it's easy, I think, for us to say that's just an old thing. Um, but, you know, one of the interesting things about my, my little priestly career is my last place was in Coronado, California, where the, the major amphib base for the Navy is. It, they trained the Navy SEALs there. And... Um, here in, in St. Thomas, we've got tons of NASA people, which is really cool. But there, they had tons of top brass admirals. There were eight in the parish. Eight, um, including a four-star and a five-star. And this interesting three-star, 
who interestingly enough in the Vietnam War had been captured along with John McCain and tortured at the Hanoi Hilton. And then out of that experience, he came, became a three-star admiral. Curiously enough, he didn't say much, the whole imprisonment in Vietnam. He was really quiet, but <clears throat> he'd grown up an Episcopalian, and his sort of short testimony that he didn't give, give publicly was that he went through uh, morning prayer and that sort of kept him sane, which, which is an interesting thing. And I, I, I think about Ed Martin, and I, and I wonder... I wonder if Ed Martin ever wanted to say, you know, by the path of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, there we sat down and we wept. And I wonder if Ed Martin ever wanted revenge for what the Viet Cong had done to him. I mean, he, like John McCain, especially the last 15 years of his life, couldn't lift their arms up above here because their arms had been broken and twisted during their, um, their imprisonment. I, I don't know how Ed felt about God's revenge. I don't know, um, but I wonder if, you know, I, what's interesting is, I think if Ed Martin had said something like, this was horrible and I prayed for justice every day, I think we'd understand. So context specific in a thing that we can't even imagine the brutality of. So I, 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 I wonder if there isn't some way in which we make room for an experience like that corporately. You know, the interesting thing about this psalm is it's asked for revenge, but it doesn't say the psalmist <clears throat> takes revenge. <laughs> and there's another psalm that started out, right? Vengeance is yours, O God. So, um, you know, I, I had this teacher in seminary, and the book mentions this, that in some ways what's interesting is that the, the, the person is willing to say their naked, raw sense of justice to God but that they leave God to take vengeance instead of them taking it themselves. It was sort of interesting. You know, we, you hear these stories in the news about how, um, you know, uh, in that Amish shooting, that the Amish parents publicly forgave the shooter. And you may say, like, much faith, how could we do that? And, and, I, and I wonder if part of the process is saying, I can forgive these people as long as... I'll leave my vengeance with you. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know, I, I don't know if that makes sense, what, I, what, what I'm saying. Well, the thing is about forgiveness is that forgiveness is really for the For you. Who, yeah, because it, well, hang on to all that pain, let it go, and was, uh, see the person as the individual who did that, and okay, I can't have anything to do with that. But so it frees us not to be carrying around negative emotions all the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, and sometimes that's the only way we handle it because you really aren't able to take vengeance. So you have to turn it over to somebody else. Yeah. Seems like there's a difference between accountability and vengeance. There's what? A difference, a difference. between accountability and vengeance. Yeah, there is. I'd like to hear a psalm about that. <laughs> okay, right. I mean, I could really use it, you know, where frankly, where frankly I'm able to say I want vengeance, because I do. Listen, I'm a petty person, and, I, and I, really, I really want to get even with people who hurt me, especially if I know them well. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. Uh, and, and then I do. I struggle with the difference sometimes. I struggle with what accountability should look like. And the same with forgiveness, right? I mean... 
forgiveness and accountability, I think, are very different things, and they're both important. Because I forgive you does not mean I refuse to hold you accountable for your actions. But there's also a third thing. You can either forgive or take vengeance, or you can just move on and be, be who you are because who you are. You just have to rise above that, uh, which is what I... I felt like I've done some, some of that the hard way, and I think many many people do. It's harder, but at the end of the day, you go, wow, shit, I am really, excuse me, I'm really, this is, and we're all capable of that. I yeah. really think we all are. Yes. Yeah. So yes. rise above that. It's, yes. it's really, um, yeah. and I'll just say it a lot. I, I was in, a, uh, in Pasadena in a, in a, a religious office. And a gentleman came up to me, an older and a Hispanic guy, and he said, you're, you're Mrs. Cabula was a principal at Jackson. I said, yeah, yes. And she, he said, I know you. you. You did some stuff with my son who was a gangster. He did that. Uh, I, I have no memory of who this kid was. She, he said, he grew up. He got a job. He got married. He's got a family. He's so good. And you, well, I really don't think I did that. But then I thought, wow. Sometimes... When you do stuff, you don't know, and I'll never forget the man's face, and, but I never saw him again, really no idea what, mm. exactly which kid he was talking about. Yeah. So, there's many things that all of us have done that yeah. we chose to write the upper... But God works through us. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But with regard to vengeance, uh, vengeance we all feel. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of, except unless we act on it. Yeah. But it's just a human choice, and to hold the other person accountable. Well, um, you, I don't. I don't know how to. Yeah, I don't under. Um, they are responsible for the wrong that they did, but. Um, I don't know that they would ever prove it to me. You know, like I... <laughs> and, uh, I think it's a waste of energy. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think it's fair. And, and this is what I want to say, though, about it. And maybe this is part of what I think the book is trying to get us to consider about these psalms. Is that it's one thing to say, like, oh, I'm just going to choose forgiveness. I don't find that choice that easy. <laughs> no. I, I think hard. it's a really long process. I'll tell you, it's very easy for, for me to forgive people that I don't have to see anymore. Yeah. But what's really difficult for me to do is forgive family members. Even if I don't have to see them, I revisit them in my mind and in my photo albums. Mm -hmm. And to think about, I mean, how do I hold, and this is one of those fun, funny things, right? Particularly, um, how do you hold family members accountable? And sometimes they die. And sometimes they die, or sometimes they get Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you going to hold them accountable then? Yeah. And that sounds terrible, right? Because shouldn't you be praying for them while they have Alzheimer's? I mean, this is what I think, though, is like part of the difficult journey of, of forgiveness, right? And just frankly, how do you deal with very real disappointment? Well, it takes time. And then worth Forgiveness does not act more than that. For most of my life, I, I, I could not forgive my father or uh, especially him. And, but anyway, 
uh, until after he died, and because then I didn't have to deal with it. Yeah. But I stayed away from him as much as I possibly could. Yeah. Would just come into Houston to check on him as he got older and so forth. But anyway, um, but then after he died, then I and I came had my first thing I did was I put myself in therapy. <laughs> you know, and it was there when the therapist said to me, your father raped you. And I said, oh no. And then, bam, it hit. And I don't know how I ever drove home safely. I was crying and cussing so hard. Mm -hmm. But it freed me. And then I started working on this. But it wasn't until about two or three years ago that I could even begin to pray for them. But now I can. Yeah. You know, now I even feel like they probably have paid the penalty and are okay with God now. But I still cuss him out periodically because I have to deal with the aftermath. Well, that's an, I mean, I think that's part of the, to me, the richness of including these uh -huh. is that, you know, I don't think, I think about my own journey from being, frankly, a fundamentalist Christian to being a little more open to the world. And it didn't happen in one step. Yeah. It happened, frankly, in like, thousands of micro steps and sometimes I look at folks that are still that I love that are still kind of bound up in, in, in I think some of the trappings of where I've come from and I said why don't you just come over here and I forget it took me lots and lots of micro steps to actually be open to God loving me um, and I, I wonder you know um, when, when he was talking I wonder if lament isn't a way that we can turn from Fear to to compassion, pathos, mm -hmm. empathy. Right, so, I, if it's okay to say, I think a lot of relationships that bother me, it's because I'm afraid of my lack of control or being disrespected or what's going to happen next, or I have anxiety, and that's where there's a lot of vengeance bound up in that. And m maybe part of the ability to express that is to go from being afraid to being sad. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, the way I, I deal with like family members that stole from me years ago <laughs> is I just um, say, Lord, you can let them keep what they stole, or would you give it back to me? And you can do both. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I think that I mean I I think that's fantastic. Again, I, I think again that's the kind of prayer that these are inviting us to pray, not just individually but corporately. One of the things the guy said that was really interesting is that the lament is when we. Um, when we give those parts of like our disappointment, anger, vengeance, etc., to God instead of keeping them just for ourselves. <laughs> and again, I wonder if that isn't part of like the missed opportunity of corporate expression. You know, um, I'll tell you, we do this thing here uh, and called The Longest Night. We do this every year. It's a small service where we just sort of say, I've got real grief. I'm not getting over it because tell, everybody tells me to do it. Um, it's a small group. Like I said, it's, it's intimate. Some people, I remember the first year we did it, somebody said, well, that just depressed me to say that stuff. Um, and I think it's because we've been taught that if you say it, it means like you're creating it for yourself instead of admitting to it corporately is actually a, a, a road. Now, different times in my life, it probably would have helped to hurt me too. But I just want to say, like, I think that becomes one of those trying to engage a missed opportunity of saying, God, it's not all rosy. And um, 
the last psalm we read, this is a really interesting one, Psalm 115. Can I read a selection? Our God is in the heaven. God does whatever God pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. They make no sound in their throats. Those who make them are like them, so are all who trust in them. This interesting bit about saying that people who worship statues have created images of their own wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think it's just talking about statue makers. I, I, I think this is an interesting psalm about how we usually envision God and God's justice and vengeance. We often think that God is just a stricter, more powerful version of ourselves. The church I grew up in said, you know, if you make God mad, God will send you to hell. Well, I'm like that. <laughs> I'm like that, but with less power. You, you, you know, I mean, really, don't we hope God's bigger than that? I mean, I think that's an interesting thing is to be able to say, God, if it were up to me, this is exactly what I would do with the people who hurt me. And I hope you're better than me. <laughs> and if we can hope that, if we can hope that God is better than us, then don't we have more hope for ourselves? Mm -hmm. do, do, do you know what I'm saying? I, I had a really powerful speaker tell me this a long time ago when I was a high schooler. I still remember these bits of phrases. Um, you don't have to be willing to follow God's call all the time. You just need to be willing to be made willing. <laughs> now, if you're not willing to be made willing, the biblical phrase for that is, Pharaoh hardened his heart. <laughs> if you're not willing to be made willing, there's not a lot that God can do with you until you say, no, God, but if you convince me otherwise, I will. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I wonder about that. And so I, I think one of these hard bits about learning about eternal hell First of all, I was afraid of it. And second of all, I was sort of delighted that people might get what they deserve. I saw somebody this morning get pulled over by a police officer. And I'm going to tell you, my first reaction was, got him. And then I thought, wait a minute. Like, I, I, I often go over the speed limit. I, that poor guy, you know. I mean, it was interesting to, to think about that, though. Honestly, you know. And... I, again, I'm just being completely honest here so that you know the pettiness of the person behind this pretty pink car. I'm very naive, but usually I think, oh, jeez, thank God it wasn't me. <laughs> well, I wasn't even driving, so I couldn't think that, you know. I was unlikely I was going to get pulled over. Um, I got pulled over for running on the wrong side of the street in this neighborhood. And I'll tell you, it's, I, did, it's still, I, I didn't get a ticket, but I thought, like, it's super mad. Like, don't you have something better to do? Uh, and I've been doing this for years. I can't believe you pulled me over. And what's interesting is, I know, I mean, I read the, I read the law. It's the law, you know, but I thought, oh, God, I can't believe you're going to do this to somebody who's jogging next to the curb. Um, <laughs> and and I, I've had that thought before, too, about various laws. And I, and I do think, instead of saying, oh, man, just grow up, I think there's an intermediate step to growing up. 
which is making room for frustration and disappointment, and then I can grow up. <laughs> My biggest problem is forgiving myself. Yeah. That's the hardest. Because you think, how could I have been so stupid? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because last week we got to read this psalm, I think, that takes that on. And, and I think this is where it becomes really interesting um, to think about what the Psalter can do for us either way. Psalm 51, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you're justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. I know that feeling, but I think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Is it okay if I say that? I mean, I think it's wrong. It's it's wrong too. And I think that's one of the interesting things about what we're talking about. I know that feeling. And I could say that feeling with integrity. There is something wrong with me. And even though I feel that, I'm going to struggle to choose to live against that feeling. I was not born a sinner. I was born a beautiful baby. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? But I know what it feels like. You know, if you haven't ever felt like there's something wrong with you, (laughs) you know, then, then this is not for you. But I do think this gives an expression of real feelings that we have so that we can move on. (laughs) Yeah, because at the end of the day, that's the only way you can really, to me, that you can really, really really move on. Yeah. Otherwise, you're stuck. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That's what counseling comes in. Yeah, and moving on is a, a choice that we need to be aware of that we can make. Yes. Now, we don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but that's where prayer comes in, and asking for God's guidance. Because when we walk in uh, side by side with God, then God's going to open that door for us. And maybe slow or subtle or whatever, but the thing is this, um, there is a way, and if we lean on God, then God will help us do it. And, yeah. and the other piece of that is, vengeance was not mine. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm right. saying? It was not yeah. mine. Yeah. Yeah. Just let it go, forget it, screw it. Yeah, That's right. Go. So many psalms, because there's one for every, just about every occasion, and then the ones we write for them. To add on to, I mean, I think that's the interesting bit, again, to think about psalms. Instead of saying the book is done, the book is a foundation for us to consider our own psalms to be used in worship. I mean, I think so. I will tell you, one of the things I love about the Episcopal Church is that the lyrics of our hymns tend to be a little deeper than the contemporary Christian music I grew up with. Now, I love the contemporary Christian music I grew up with. It sounds like the Eagles. It's really pleasing. Love the Eagles. I do. But um, it doesn't really have often, the, I think, the depth, the depth of theology that I find in the, in the Episcopal hymnal. I hope that's okay. And there's room for both. There's room for emotionality for certain. You know, I, I had somebody tell me after Fat Tuesday two years ago, um, you know, this is where we have the Zydeco Mass, and the person said, this was too much fun, I didn't feel like it was worshipful. <laughs> Which is an interesting thought, right? Because in some ways, like, you know, um, 
we're kind of taught that our faith is supposed to be dour to be reverent. And well, I'm sure that's wrong, even though I sometimes feel it. And I think part of the reason I feel it is because we don't engage in the full expression that's in the Psalter. And the are supposed to be something that you sing yeah. or you dance to because the, because the everybody, I, 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 I think the priest would dance. So, so, it's, so it shouldn't be that Yeah. You know, for a while, at least I'd see him dance. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not a dancer. At St. Peace, we did liturgical dance. The mm-hmm. lights got us involved. Yes, and I was yes. one of the dancers. <laughs> and then, of course, there were many, you know, and I was a traditional Catholic. I grew up, you know, born and raised. They were just so upset. That was sinful. That was, you know, know. barefoot. Yeah. I said, what the heck are you doing out there? <laughs> and, but, wow, but... Um, there's joy and yeah. celebration. You can be joyful and be having a hard time. I, I, yes, that, yes. That's, I think, again, that's the difference between joy and happiness, yeah. right? I didn't think you can be happy and do that. Actually, being joyful when you're kind of, when you're really bad stuff is like the best yeah. way to show Yeah, yeah because get yourself that's why I like being with people because, uh, you know, I, I need, no one wanted to be left alone. Yeah. So one other comment I wanted to make about how you treat people who have hurt you or who, you know, don't acknowledge their guilt and so forth is uh, the way I handle it is like, uh, now this is difficult in, in close family. Yeah. yeah that's oh, difficult. yeah, that's very difficult. But I've got a bunch of cousins and friends in the surrounding areas. And um, anyway, there's no contact. Because when I left the convent and then I told him that Charlie did me, uh, he was always so wonderful and I just yeah. loved him. So, anyway, so they don't want to have anything to do with me. Okay? But when I do run into them, I'm hospitable. Yeah. I'm, you know, friendly. I, you know, and other people get hurt me. Uh, the thing is to be courteous because that's. Who I want to be. Not, yeah, and who wants to be. Not yeah. who they are. So the yeah. important thing is, is how does each one of us choose to handle this situation? What kind of person do we want to be? Yeah, yeah. Can I highlight a few bits, and we have to cut out early because i got the symphony here today. Um, when we read Psalm 82, isn't this an interesting thing? God has taken God's place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, God holds judgment and says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Remember, this is an interesting thing because it identifies that there's other superhuman realities called gods with the letter case G. That's interesting. We can, we can figure that out. I, 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 by the way, I'm convinced that's true. There are superhuman realities like ageism, and racism and sexism and Nazism and fascism. Those are bigger than any one human being. And perhaps this is saying, look, God sits with those principalities, that's the word Paul uses in the New Testament for this, and says, be just. (laughs) This is sort of interesting. Um, But certainly see the richness of this and how this is not a theology in general we usually feel comfortable with 
there's these other heavenly realities called gods with the lowercase g. There's only one God. We sort of, that's our essence of faith. But the Psalter says God sits among other gods. So we have to reckon with that. Um, I don't know if you noticed, there's a few phrases here um, that Jesus ends up saying, like this one from Psalm uh, 31, into your hand I commit my spirit. Remember this one, words on the cross, and then he gives his breath. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Psalm 22. Um, a lot of scholarship will tell you that if you quote a line from the psalm, it's like you're quoting the whole psalm. So if you read Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They cast lots from my clothes. It ends with a cry for the poor. So a lot of scholars would tell you when Jesus says that, he's not really just saying himself. He's saying in this middle of his own situation, God deliver all people who are poor or in unjust punishment. I I sure think there's probably some truth to that, but I love imagining Jesus felt God forsaken. I I hope that's okay. Same with this one. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The rest of the verse says, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Now, now, I think that's really interesting because when I hear Jesus say it, I hear Jesus in the middle of an unjust punishment suffering immensely saying, despite my cognitive dissonance, into you I commend my spirit. And then at the same time, maybe he's saying the rest of it too, that um, he, he ultimately is, is trusting God's reign or redemption on account of, and not only for himself, but for other people. I mean, it's sort of interesting. I don't know if you noticed, we read in here that um, the angels uh, will prevent your foot from dashing a stone. That comes right out of Psalm 91. You know who quotes that psalm? The accuser. When Jesus is out in, in the desert, right, uh, the accuser says, jump off the temple because it's written, God will command God's angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and their hands will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Um, in some ways, it's sort of interesting to think in the New Testament that the Psalms can guide us to holiness or they can take us away from it. I mean, that's exactly how... Satan, the accuser, uses the Psalms incorrectly. (laughs) That's sort of an interesting thing to think about. And we have those opportunities before us when we read laments, when we read praise, when we read whatever, to use or misuse uh, this treasure. Okay, I have to quit because of the symphony. Next week, we get to do something happy. We're going to read Psalms of Joy, and then we'll be done, you see, with our portion of the Hebrew Bible, and we'll start with the Gospel of John the week after that. So next week is Lesson 16, Songs of Joy. Thanks for being here.